Before we start the show, I want to thank the thousands of you, the thousands who have read This Book Will Make You Dangerous. Many of you have told me that the book's unique way of exploring fear, confidence, and purpose has had a lasting impact, that it's much easier for you to get clarity and direction about what really matters and what you want to do in this lifetime. It's also amazing to hear that quite a few of you have read it multiple times and even bought copies for friends, so thank you again. Just in case you weren't aware, I created a free companion video course for the book. And in these videos, I walk you through the big takeaways and practices from each chapter. And I even cover some extra stuff that's not included in the book. Information on how to access the course is in newer versions of the book. And if you own an older version of the book and you don't know how to access the course, just hit me up via the contact form at triplinear.com and we'll get you all set up. And one last thing, if you're one of the thousands who have already read the book, please consider leaving an honest review on Amazon so that others can decide if it's right for them. Again, thank you so much for reading. This book will make you dangerous. And now let's start the show. You are listening to the new man beyond the macho jerk and the new age wimp. Your host is men's coach, Trip Lanier. If someone has betrayed or hurt you, do you let thoughts of getting even get the best of you? Do you allow the horror stories of the world to keep you from enjoying a positive life? And what can you do to empower yourself through an emotional tragedy? Fitness expert and podcast host Ted Rice is here to share his story of murder and loss, and more importantly, how he finds the power to keep a positive outlook on life. So I wanna set a warning before we start this interview. This episode features graphic descriptions of a horrific crime that was committed against a child. I also wanna say that everybody handles loss and tragedy differently. Nobody expects you to do it alone. So this is your life, it's the only one you've got. And if you're going through a tough time, Be willing to invest in yourself and find a good therapist or professional to help you out. Welcome to The New Man. Today, we're talking with Ted Rice. He's a health and fitness expert, also a competitive martial artist, and he's the host of the Alpha Man podcast. Ted, thanks for talking today. Trip, I'm really excited to be on the show, man. I, you know, you were you were kind enough to have me on your podcast, and we talked about some some kind of big picture stuff. And you have such a pedigree and such a background in fitness and martial arts, um, but that's not what I want to dive into necessarily today. You, what I want to what I want to explore with you is uh, I want to help the guy that's that's out there that's listening right now, and maybe he's he's had he's been dealt a tough hand, something he's got some tough situation that involves somebody else where he's been hurt or he's been betrayed. And it's just, I, I, you know, when I've been in this place, I remember I've been in, a, in this place several times in my life where it seems like the only way I'm going to find peace is if I get back at this person or I something bad happens to them. I don't like to admit that I've thought this, but I think there's just this primitive part of ourselves that goes to this place. But 
basically our peace of mind is held hostage by somebody else and and what's happening for them. And so I want to I want to just explore some of the things that have happened in your life because you've experienced some immense loss, you've experienced some incredible violent uh you uh just it's some really tough stuff, but I I I want to um explore that and just see uh how you've been able to turn some of these tragedies into triumph uh, and not let it necessarily get the best of you because you're out in the world right now with a very positive message. I know you're not perfect. You're not, you're not saying you got a perfect life or anything, but you've got something, um, you've, you've really turned this situation into a way to empower others. And that's what I want to highlight today. You up for that? Absolutely, Trip. And, you know, thank you for saying all those things about me. And that's what I'm trying to do. Someone said on my show, the experts are just people who have been winging it longer than you have. And, uh, you know, I'm, I've been winging it for a long time. So <laughs> that's, I'm just a normal guy, just like everybody else is. And, okay. uh, and I've trained celebrities in my personal training business and people are always like, Oh, what about this? They're normal people. They go to the bathroom sitting down and you know, they have to eat several times a day. We're all just kind of normal people. But the more we can do to build ourselves up, to work on ourselves, that's what makes us better, becoming better versions of ourselves. All right. So, yeah, man, um, it's to my story. First off, I want to say that I'm not I don't want to diminish anybody else's pain or what anybody else has been through, because uh, I don't think that's something that really has a positive effect on people. But I will say this, I have a really rough story. So uh, hopefully that it can inspire you to look beyond your own pain and suffering and the own events in your life and maybe get some perspective on things because that's what had to happen with me, Trip. Yeah. It's, well, uh, I'm glad you brought that up because this we could this could we could turn this into a big buzzkill. We could turn this into a thing that just drags us down. But ultimately, I want it to be something that the guy after the guys listen to this, he's 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 walking a little taller, a little straighter, a little more grateful, uh, and a little more empowered. So, I love it. All right. Well, let's start off. Here comes the bumpy ride. What happened to you at age 14? Ah, uh, well, with my life was turned upside down a little bit. My mother passed away in a car accident, which that's right when I was going into high school. And I just really lost it. I, I was so angry. There's, there's a backstory there, which I don't think we need to go into. Uh, but we, my parents were divorced when I was about six. Uh, my mother was psychiatrically ill. There were a lot of unresolved issues and I was supposed to go over to her house that weekend. I actually, my dad had custody, custody of my sister and me, and uh, which is highly unusual. That's the type of illness she had. But uh, I had a lot of guilt about not going over there that weekend, and she died uh, in a car crash. And it really started me out very poorly in high school. I was just a angry kid and acting out, and I uh, barely got through it. I got I ran away from home for a week, stole my parents' car, and drove off, and. No, I'm not a, I'm not a dick. I'm not an asshole. I, I, I'm a good person, but I was angry. I was hurt and I didn't know what to do. So I just, I, I did whatever I wanted yeah. to do, you know? And did you find at that time, was there a story and you know, when we're so young like that, it's, you know, we're just starting to get a glimpse of what the world's all about. And then we're dealt something like that. I lost my mom unexpectedly when I was 13 and I can 
kind of kind of imagine yeah. what that was like for you. But the what was what were some of the things that you were taking? Oh, the world is this way, or life is fucked, or like what do you do? You remember some of the things you were starting to tell yourself about the world? Yeah, I mean, you know, uh, you went through a very similar thing. You know, you're kind of an idiot at 14. You're just a dumb kid. It, the testosterone is just beginning to flow. And I was just uh, more of like an animal acting out on whatever emotions popped up. So you didn't even and know what to do. You had all this energy, you had all I, this emotion, just didn't even know what to do with it. Yeah, and okay. I, I did lose my innocence in that way. I had never had anything like that happen. And uh, like I said, it was a complex situation with her because she was mentally ill. And basically, my sister and I, we were her whole life. Mm. And uh, yeah, it, I, there was a lot of guilt around that. But okay. uh, honestly, she's probably better off where she is now. Mm. And uh, well, and so anyway, I, I made it barely made it through school, smoking a lot of weed, drinking a lot, partying a lot, smoking cigarettes. Uh, the only thing I did work out. <laughs> I was into fitness and I was eating better. And, you know, although I did, had the typical fast food diet, uh, I was also into martial arts. I started martial arts then and I never really could take it seriously because I was partying so much and hanging out with a bunch of kind of bad kids and, you know, hooking up with girls. I was never a popular kid in school, but I was definitely infamous trip. Okay. All right. <laughs> but uh, not, did, not, it, nothing too terrible. Just the, the stoner kid who, uh, you know, who's kind of bad. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. I did walked the, out of a class one time. Yeah. Sorry. Well, I was going to say, did the martial arts provide any kind of structure, or any kind of outlet for that? Or was it just kind of auxiliary at that time? No, it really was. And I was working out at that time too. I, I was doing a lot of strength training and uh, both of those things helped, but I wasn't, I, I trained consistently with martial arts, but I never really gave it my all. But it did help. It mm -hmm. kept me from getting into even more trouble. And okay. I was very interested in the philosophy of martial arts at that time because I felt unempowered. And uh, I was bullied uh, in junior high and I had some anger about that. But the, 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 that isn't even the, the big story. The big story came when I was 19. I had graduated high school by the skin of my teeth. And uh, I, I got into college I was just starting to do well. I, I got good grades for the first time in my whole entire life uh, because I was a trouble kid even before my mom died. But again, right. we don't have time to go into all that. Right. But uh, when I was 19, uh, my parents went out. I lived up where I was going to school, about 45 minutes away from where my parents and my brother lived. And my sister was in school in Chile studying Spanish and being a transfer student and having that experience. And I skipped school one day because my parents were out of town and, uh, I, I was, my buddy was going to be the, a, a really good friend of mine, a guy who I got into a lot of trouble with and had a lot of good memories. And, uh, in high school, he was watching my brother and, uh, I was skipping school in my old, uh, high school ways to go and, uh, meet up with him and hang out. And I got there, my brother's piano teacher was waiting for him. And my brother, by the way, was nine years old at the time. This is when I was 19. Right. And my friend hadn't gotten off of work to go meet with my brother. And my brother wasn't there. I called my parents 
they freaked out right away. I was like, nah, he's just over at a friend's house playing around, just being a dumb kid. And, uh, but for some reason they were really worried and they came home right away. They were, they were a few hours away. They were vacationing a few hours away, but still in Florida. And, uh, yeah. And so what started off really casual, no big deal. And then as the hours started to go on, things got more intense. The police showed up, helicopters were deployed People were looking everywhere for my brother, my nine-year-old brother, but he was nowhere to be found. And that was the start of a three-month journey through hell trip because uh, I feel like I aged during that time. It, uh, the, the FBI showed up and my parents were interrogated. My friend and I were interrogated as suspects uh, for the disappearance of my brother. Right. We were put through lie detector tests and we were just a couple of dumb stoner kids. And, you know, I said I was getting my life together, but, you know, I still had some bad habits. And uh, but they would come at three o'clock in the morning and search my whole house and search my car. And just. I was, you know, subjected all this stuff and they would ask me questions like, you know, have you ever hit your brother? And I'm like, he's my nine year old brother. I punched, you know, we I put boxing gloves on him and knock him in the head a couple of times. Of course, you know, I mean, mm-hmm. typical stuff, uh, you know, kind of being a dick to my siblings. Right. But uh, we, we, we loved each other and, you know, he looked up to me and I loved him. And uh, so a three month search happened and we, my parents made it a big issue. It became national news that this kid was missing because my parents were both attorneys, kind of high profile people. My, my mom was a, an attorney for the government, for the IRS. And my dad had his own law business and law practice and uh, was very well established in Florida. And uh, eventually the FBI went away, the homicide, because they, you know, we, there was no incriminating evidence to be found in my family. And the homicide department kind of did the same thing, but they were a lot nicer and uh, they, uh, you know, didn't find anything and they started to work on other things. And we started to look around the neighborhood and search for leads. And there were all types of leads came in and psychics and it was just crazy. Wow. But uh, three months later, this went, he went missing on September 11th, 9-11. Uh, easy to remember date now. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, three months later, a woman who lived in our neighborhood had a guy working for her who lived on her property in a trailer. She was missing some jewelry and she was also missing a handgun. And she went into her, her trailer, the trailer on her property where the guy lived and looked for the stuff. She did not find the stuff that was missing, but what she found forever changed uh, everyone's lives of my family's life, everybody who was involved. And, uh, she found a book bag, my brother's book bag with uh, books in his names in it. And uh, he all, she also found a missing post, a missing children's poster, which we had been putting up. You know, it's, it right. makes no sense that one of them would have been in his book bag. She immediately called the homicide department. The police got the guy, interrogated him for hours, and he led them on a wild goose chase and started telling them stories like, oh, uh, 
first of all, he wasn't, you know, into it at all. He had nothing to do with it. He just found the book bag Then he blamed it on someone else. And he said that he had hit my brother and then dumped his body in a canal was one of the things he said. But eventually he broke down and told the police what happened, what he did. And it turned out that day on September, he, as my brother was getting dropped off from the school bus, about a block away from my house and walking home, just like he did every single day. He rolled up in his pickup truck, pulled out that gun that he stole from his, uh, from his employer, told my brother to get in the car. He was going to shoot him. And unfortunately my brother didn't run. He didn't scream. He didn't fight. He didn't flick him off, tell him to go fuck himself and haul ass. He got in the truck. The guy supposedly grabbed him, threw him down to the bottom held him down and sped off. He took him to a trailer no less than a mile away from my house. He raped him repeatedly. He uh, played psychological games with him and said, when my brother asked him, uh, you know, are you going to kill me? He said, what do you think? And uh, when after all that had happened, we were still looking for him and they heard the helicopters that day flying over the trailer and my brother after everything he went through after being raped after being humiliated after being tortured he made a run for it and uh this guy pulled out the gun shot him through the chest the bullet pierced his heart he fell to the ground dying and uh after that he took my brother and decapitated him cut off his arms and legs and put him into a flower pot, filled it with cement, and uh, hope that no, probably hope that nobody would ever find this kid, and we would never know what happened, and we probably wouldn't trip. But if it weren't for that woman who found the book bag in uh, that trailer and called the police and caught the guy, and uh, just recently, just to cap it off, this year we're in. This is February. Uh, uh, we're in 2014. It's uh, just the start of July now. But in February, my father and I, who are the only family members left alive, we went and watched him put to death. Uh, we have front row seats in the viewing room and watched him executed by way of uh, lethal injection. So we finally got what we wanted. And I know you had said something about the revenge and not wanting, not putting so much power in another person's, uh, not putting so much power over us in another person's hands. Uh, I, for the most part, I don't hold grudges, but that was a situation where I felt that he had crossed a line that he needed to die for what he did. And, uh, that's what happened. And, uh, yeah, but it was a very, that was 19 years ago. The execution happened 19 years later, just a few months ago. And uh, it's been a very <laughs> a tough road since then. And uh, I've had a lot of ups and downs, but I'm up right now, Trip. So mm-hmm. and that's the message that I want to bring to people. As mm-hmm. horrible as that story is, there are ways of overcoming any type of tragedy you've ever been through. And uh, that's what I want to bring forth to everyone listening today. I got tears in my eyes. Um, I guess um, 
I just have a I have a daughter. <laughs> you know, I just trying to imagine that. Um you know, I think where I'd like to take it is, you know, just to acknowledge you, I want to, I really appreciate you, you, you first just sharing that, you know, you're not, you know, that's just, um, thank you. And the, I would like to dive in because it's, 19 years is a long time and, and 19 years is a long time to expect that peace will come, you know, that what, you know, whatever to hang, whatever expectation would be uh, be created that's going to hang upon watching this man take his last breath. And so what did you find? What, what, what did happen for you as you watched, uh, your brother's killer die? I felt that justice was served. And when I mean that, I don't mean revenge. I don't mean my dad and I taking this dude by ourselves to a back alley and doing what we, uh, would have done with him. Uh, had it been up to us. I mean that it was done in a way that our society sanctioned, meaning that uh, he was not, he was taken away all hope of ever having a life or having society change and saying, you know what? We can't keep criminals in there. So what if he raped and murdered a kid 20 years ago? Like, you know, we can't just keep him in prison. We never wanted any of that to be, an issue. We wanted him dead. And by the way, that is happening with someone else, uh, someone whose child was murdered there. And she's actually against the death, death penalty. And that's her belief. That's fine. It's not mine. Um, but there is someone who's getting out who had murdered her child in, in California because of the laws there. And uh, I'm really thankful that that will never be an issue for my father nor me. And uh, what happened, I felt empowered. You know, I felt like we mm -hmm. made a difference, like we made a statement to everybody. Mm -hmm. Like justice was served, like a part, like my sister, who we can talk about this too, she committed suicide two years ago, in part from what happened in her life, what happened in our life, what we've had to go through. And uh, my stepmom, who was Jim's mother, was... Uh, died from a heart attack. She lost it after Jim was, uh, well, I say she lost, she, she stopped taking care of her health, but she and my father, they both pushed forward. They met with two presidents. They met with president Clinton. They met with president George W. Bush. They got laws passed to help your child trip and every, the children of every, uh, mother and father who are listening to this show, uh, especially for sexual predators. Now they're being kept. Uh, they, they don't just get let out because they have a high rate of repeating the same crime. These right. are really broken people. Yeah. It's not like, Oh, well, I robbed a liquor store because you know, I was a little short on cash. I didn't know what to do, yeah. but I found Jesus and everything's better. It doesn't work like that. Yeah. These people are really have sex with a kid and bless children. And, uh, they're there. It's just a, a deeper, uh, type of mental illness sure. is really what it is. Did you I, find that, that, you know, that you wanted revenge, that you, you and your father wanted to take this guy into an alley and, and was that ever a part of it? Ah, uh, I mean, Trip, if it were under di different circumstances, I really believe in, in that type of 
retribution. And I'll tell you why, because it's not just some like, yeah, well, you take our eye. I'm going to take your eye type type of good old boy bullshit. What I believe is that violence is a tool that men use, mostly men, uh, women use it too, but we're talking about men here. That's who killed my brother. And violence is a tool that men use to get what they want when other things don't work. Uh, it's a way to solve their problems. And uh, I really believe in showing that violence doesn't pay by using violence. And to use a, a statement that a buddy of mine, Tim Larkin, who teaches uh, Navy SEALs, hand-to-hand combat. He teaches all types of people, but he he he's very well-respected by special forces and all types of people. He says that violence is rarely the answer, but when it's the answer, it's the only answer. And there's another person, Michael, I can't pronounce his last name for the life of me. It's Jigglery or something kind of really difficult to pronounce. Okay. And he's a primatologist, and he's also looked into um, societies and how they deal with violence. And I really was motivated by reading his work. And he believes that people, that we need to punish people when it comes down to violence. Now, we're not talking about robbing someone's stereo or anything like that. We're, we're selling weed or we're talking about violent crime, right. violence against another human being that it needs to be dealt with on a commensurate level. So uh, I believe in that. And uh, I'm willing to, with all my martial arts training, I am willing to uh, take the life of someone who threatens my life or the life of people that I care about. I will never appeal or never attempt to appeal to the humanity of someone who obviously doesn't have any. I will take their life. And, And that is my personal belief. You may not agree with it, your listeners may not agree with it. That's fine. It's a choice we all meet, need to make. But what about when it comes down to dealing with the grief and the and the hurt? Like, there's nothing. You know, there, we're not in a situation where because um, I, I I can remember things that have happened, and it, it's like I want to go back and replay that. I get stuck in this maze right. of I should have done this or I should have done that, and if I could have, I would have hit him, and you know, all this kind of stuff. And it's just a it. it takes me out of the, the opportunities in the present, takes me out of the opportunities of the future because I'm still stuck in the past and I'm in this violent exchange within myself. Um, was that ever a part of your experience? Yeah. I mean, that's a great point, Trip, and I'm glad you, you got me off my uh, little uh, pedestal there. But yeah, because most people may not deal with those that type of situation. But like you said, many, many people will deal with this internal struggle. And People will look at me and say, oh, how'd you get over it? And, you know, but the answer is it's kind of the same for everybody. I mean, to some extent, it must be individualized, like some things will work better for other people uh, than me, for example. But it comes down to basic principles. And I think one, number one, is uh, taking care of your health. We know that the food you eat, the, the types of exercise that you do, the amount of exercise that you do has profound effects on how happy you are or it, to geek out. It has effects on your hormonal levels yeah. and your neurotransmitter levels. But to put it in English, it makes you feel better and you, it makes you happier. And that's a huge part of it, taking care of yourself. And uh, I, people expect to be happy 
you know, why am I not happy? It's like, well, have you tried exercising? You sit on the couch and play video games or surf the net. You've got to take care of yourself. And if you're not happy and you don't exercise, then don't expect to be happy. I don't care what has gone on in your yeah. life. Well, it's just such a powerful shift that you did just then. It, we went from, here's the, here's the perpetrator. I need to level the perpetrator. I need to, you know, it's in the past, right? There's nothing that I can really do. This guy's, you know, in, in handcuffs or whatever. But then what is it that I can do? How can I reclaim my quality of life today? How can I reclaim my quality of life going forward? And the first thing you said was take better care of yourself, which... Fuck, I mean, right on the, I mean, it makes so much sense, but we don't, <laughs> you know, most right. of us are not doing that. We neglect ourselves. Uh, we're, we're caught up in our own, in our own emotional world and we uh, get into this loop where we allow our physical lives to then pull down our emotional world because we're not taking care of ourselves. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. So guys, if you're not willing to take care of yourself physically, just accept that you're not going to be that happy. Okay. There you go. It's that simple. <laughs> That's the, it's that simple. And, uh, you know, you have to work. If you want to feel good, you want to be happy, you want to feel like you have lots of energy, you want to have a great sex drive, you got you to gotta work for it. You got to earn it. And that's by taking care of your body, getting good quality sleep, good quality nutrition. Obviously, we can go into a lot of detail, but uh, maybe for on another podcast, but uh, uh, you know, we can come back and talk about something less serious. Yeah. And, uh, but you, you have to physically, you have to make your muscles work. You got to sleep well and you got to eat well. And so uh, when did you, one. when did you, I mean, was this the path for you that at what point did you wake up to this and say, wait a second? Cause you, you admitted, you, you said you were eating like shit and you weren't really taking good care of yourself. How did you discover the, the importance of taking better care of yourself in order to heal emotionally too? Yeah, that's a great question. And yeah, I kind of jump, we kind of jump back and forth there to rewind a bit after I really hit bottom, not when uh, we found out what happened, but a year later when the trial happened. And I really, no need to go into any more negative uh, stuff than yeah. what we've already shared, what I've already shared, but I really hit bottom hard, guys, real hard, as low as anybody can ever be. I've, I've been there. And uh but what happened, not too, thank God, not too long, not too many years later, uh, I got a job as a personal trainer when I was 22 years old. So from 19 when it happened, took me a couple years, but I got a job when I was 22 and um, I had a shitty job before that. No need to go into that, but it wasn't fun, guys. And I was living in a nice building, although I had a shitty job, uh, I was making enough to live in this nice building. I would go to the gym to work off some steam because I was eating like shit, but I always had health in the back of my mind. Uh, so I slowly became more healthy, but I, I gave up my shitty job. I used my uh, savings to get my personal trainer certification and I jumped into, uh, uh, I got a job at the first place I interviewed. They didn't even want to let me train people for two years trip. But I was so pumped and happy. To, I felt like I was doing the right thing and uh, I was in the right situation. I just started grabbing people and training them off the floor and just showing them new exercises <laughs> and showing the workouts that they let me train people within a couple months. Wow. So that's when everything changed uh, for me when, when health became my, my business. So I had to learn about it. I had to apply it to other people. And the second thing I would say 
is, you know, to live for something greater than yourself. So I was helping other people. I was helping further this health knowledge. And, and so it wasn't so much about me anymore. I was helping other people. And that was therapy for me. Yeah. Uh, there's two huge, powerful points there. And, you know, the first is to take care of yourself. It's not to dissociate. It's not to deny yourself. But, you know, then from this health, this place of, place of health and valuing ourselves, then it's okay. There's, there's more to this life than just me and my worries and my problems and how I think I should look to other people. It's uh, who can I help? What contribution can I make? What, what kind of service can I, can I bring to the world? Um, most of the time when I run into people who are really, really struggling and complaining, it's this, they're in a, this like place of mirrors, like they can't see anything other than themselves and their problems and their worries. So I'm not advocating that we stick our head in the sand and don't acknowledge what the challenges are in our life. But I, I love that you brought, you found the same thing that I found is that I'm a lot happier when I'm helping other people. It's just, I don't have to think about my own shit as much, I guess. So, uh, I just like it. Yeah. And, and you, you made a great point when you said you don't want to stick your head in the sand because a lot of people will neglect themselves and help other people because they don't get to focus on, they don't focus on their bullshit. It's kind of but, the martyr, you know, the, the, this kind of martyrdom thing. We, yeah. Yeah. But the thing is, if you're working on yourself, if you're making sure that you're okay, I'm eating well, I'm working out, I'm making time for myself. But then after you have to be selfish in that way, selfish in the sense that you have to put yourself first to be an example for other people so that you can show up and be your best so you can help them more. So it's not maybe even really selfish is the, not the right word. But after you do that, then you start taking care of other people. But absolutely, just focusing on you and your own bullshit and uh, like you said, I love the way you, you that metaphor you use where it's like everywhere I look, I, I see myself in a mirror. You know, it's you got to get away from that. Yeah. And uh, just a, a quick point. Someone had asked me, like, do you ever one of the media people? Because I was interviewed by uh, I was interviewed by national media. I was interviewed by local media for, for my brother's story. And they were like, uh, actually, just recently. And they asked me, do you ever feel do you ever wonder why you, Ted? I'm like, oh man. And I said, no, <laughs> no, it's like, right. It's such bullshit. I mean, Drama. I, if you're listening, I love you, but I, media people, because you helped me get, you, you helped my father and I get our message out. But at the same time, I said, look at all the horrible stuff happening in the world. Look at history. Now, I personally believe that the world is, that humanity is however imperfectly stumbling towards a better future. I honestly believe that we got people like you trip and people like me getting out there and trying to help people. That was unheard of 15 years ago. Good things are happening in the world, but, uh, to put our pain in perspective, look at what's happening in Africa or Syria or all these other crazy places. You know, it's horrible what happened to my brother and there's no amount of uh, uh, you know, well, look at that tragedy. It's like, yeah, but I didn't experience it. I actually felt this to my core. Uh, but at the same time, understand that you're part of something greater. You're part of human history. And there's been a lot of bad shit that's happened in the past. There's a lot of bad shit going on now. A lot of bad shit will happen in the future. But you know what? Put it in perspective. We're living in the best time that you could ever live in. You know, we have more opportunity. There's more things things available to help you past any problem 
that you could ever encounter right now. So be excited about that and be grateful for that. Mm. It's powerful words coming from you. It's a great reminder. You know, it's all how we choose to look at it. We can get stuck in our world and and continuously find evidence. I think I, I think a lot of us look will go through the world looking for injustices. We look yeah. for things to support a story that says my life is fucked, or we look for ways to support you know, a story that we have that the world is fucked. Um, and I think if we were to bring, what if we were to bring that awareness to what's possible, what's going well? Um, as I hear you say, and as I believe, you know, yeah, there's some awful, awful things in this world, and um, you know, we can we can choose to to look at uh, and and see the world in a positive light too. I love that we're stumbling towards even even. Uh, what did you say? Stumbling towards better, a better future, a better future. Yeah. Humanity is moving towards a better future. We're stumbling towards it. Yeah. You know, yeah. we're imperfect, but that's okay. Mm. Don't let the fact that the media shows and research has shown up to 17 negative stories per one positive. Don't let that get in your head, guys. That's a perspective. Yeah. And it's not a real one. And the fact that you don't, you can't tell me how many light poles you drove past on your way to work today and on the way back. You, they were in your life. They were, you passed every single one of them. But because your perspective wasn't there, you have no idea. So like you said, Trip, it matter, what you choose to focus on is huge. And by focusing on things, by taking responsibility and focusing on things that you can exert and that, that you can make a difference with, that's what it's all about. And it starts with yourself. Beautiful. Well, you're you're walking that. You're inspiring. You're inspiring me today. Um, you know, we're not sticking our. We're not playing some kumbaya bullshit. That that there are some awful things out there. But yes, what we choose to focus on and and what we can choose to do about it are the most important, the most powerful things. Um, thank you. Uh, where, where can we learn more about you? Tell us about your podcast and all the other things you do, you're offering. Yeah, uh, I have a podcast called the Alpha Man Project, and I had Trip on there. And uh, at first he didn't like the name trip and, you know, some people don't and it's cool, but uh, it's not about, you know, like swinging your dick around and being a, a macho, arrogant prick. It's just alpha, being alpha, being the alpha man or alpha male. To me, it's just a metaphor uh, for becoming your best, most badass version of yourself. And I talk a lot about health and fitness uh, and I interview martial artists and former Navy SEALs and people who I feel are really experts in the health and fitness industry. So really usable advice, practical stuff that you can apply. And it's not just hype and, and trying to get you to buy stuff that's not really going to serve you. Um, and yeah, it's it's a personal development with an edge, you know, kind of similar to what you're doing, but different. And uh, yeah, and it was a pleasure to have you on. And, you know, I have a, a variety of guests. And uh, yeah, if anybody wants to check it out, I would love to have you come and listen and uh, see if you like it or not. And if it's for you, great. And if it's not, hey, that's okay. You know, there's uh, something for everybody out there. It's the beauty of uh, the, the age that we live in now. Absolutely. Tell us a little bit about the, uh, the foundation that you and your family have. Yeah, my, it's called the Jimmy Rice Center. And uh, Trip will, I'm sure, put up the link to it in his notes. Uh, but we donate bloodhounds to law enforcement for free. We only use the money to help raise the bloodhounds and to keep the website afloat. And uh, we would be honored if 
any of your listeners would donate to it because for every thousand dollars that we uh, make, we donate another bloodhound. Why bloodhounds? Short story, they're uh, short of putting implanting your kid with a GPS chip to know where they're at at all times. Yeah. Bloodhounds are the best technology that we have. We're, there's just countless story. I don't want to take up it too much time, but there's countless stories of them finding missing people. And they even found a fugitive uh, the other day. They were just powerful. They slobber a lot, Trip. Yeah, I know. But, but yeah, uh, no. what's the name of the foundation again? It's uh, the Jimmy Rice Center, and uh, it's jimmyrice.org. Okay, we'll do. And we'll have the link up on the site, too. Ted Rice, thank you so much for coming in and talking to uh, Today I, I I took a, I don't even know what I've taken away so far. I'm gonna have to go think about it for a while. But thank you very much. You got it, Trip. I had a great time, man. If these interviews are helping you, then please visit the new man on iTunes and leave us a positive review so others can discover the show more easily. Thanks for listening.